Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by The Running Report. And we got a really special episode. I know I'm always saying that, but I'm for real this time. This is our first multiple guest on the same episode. We got three guests, including the brother from the same mother, Aaron Potts. Before we get into it, though, I just want to thank you guys for all the love and everything that we've been getting on The Running Report, Instagram, and everything like that. Bigger things that definitely come for The Running Report, and especially the Two Black Runners podcast, bro. We're still shooting for 52 weeks straight getting that straight year for y'all so we still pushing but let's just get into it aaron bro how do you feel about this episode real quick we got a cool one we got a cool one hey bro this is gonna be dope i mean i think we got the best four by eight in the country tell them today and we got a straight up bro we got a straight up group of brothers on here so it's just gonna feel like some real homie talk so just sit back relax get your popcorn ready Hey, and let me just tell you guys real quick, like we say, the running report, we're produced for and by the culture. Like Aaron said a couple weeks ago, that's a double entendre. The culture being for the culture of running, then the culture being by two African-American individuals running a running media outlet. And this is the first time I've probably ever, I've never seen this before. We got five brothers talking about running on a podcast. I've never seen that, have you? I, I ain't never seen it. I've never seen that. So. We got the best 4 by 8 in the country from District Track Club, BTC, OTC, New Balance, where you at? Come see them. And we got Eidos, Kwamel, and Vincent, bro. How y'all doing? How y'all doing real quick? How y'all doing? What's up? What's up? What do you do? What's up, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. But before we let's just get the... Let's get like all the voices down for people who don't get like confused. Let's just start off with Edos. Just say your name real quick. Uh, what college you graduated from and your age? Cool. I'm Edos Ibadin. I graduated from Hampton University and I am 27 years old. You know, I'm Vincent Crisp, Texas Tech University. I turned 23 in eight days. What's up, man? It's Kwame Prince. Went to Tennessee State, 26 years old. What's good, everybody? Now this year, what you guys are hearing, this is the District Track Club, and they recently just kind of set it off. I mean, Edos ran a 144. Both of these guys both ran a 146 lows. Kumel has a 145 PR, but a lot of people don't know about the District Track Club. So there's actually a couple of weeks ago, somebody hit me up like, "Yo, like y'all need to have have them on your show." And I'm not even gonna lie, I got jealous when I saw Edos on Sidious Mag. I was like, "What's up?" <laughs> I was like, wait, hold up, Joshua. This is this, that, he should be on our show, bro. I was like, you know, we bro. gonna bring, hey, shout out to Chris, that's the homie. But we, I was like, we gonna bring the whole squad on here. But before we get started, we just want to ask you guys each two, like, how's it been and been quarantine for you? How how's life been? How's you been? How you been adjusting? How's training? I can start off first. So for me. Initially, when we first got into quarantine, so just a quick backstory, we were at a training camp called IMG in Florida. And mm-hmm. for those who know what IMG Academy is, it's basically one of the best boarding school, boarding athletic schools in the country for high school and professional athletes to go and train. And so we were out there just living it up, having fun in training camp. And then the weekend we got back, that's when everything was getting shut down left and right. And it was just very hard to adjust to initially. Um, We also, when we came back, tracks were closed and like Vincent's queue, they'll tell you later what they had to do. But for me, I was fortunate enough to be able to sneak onto a track and still get my workouts in. And then slowly, like in May, things kind of got lifted up and then we just had to make the most of what it was. And we started doing some time trials to test our fitness and whatnot. So it's been good so far for us for the most part. I think we've been one of the luckier clubs out there. How was it? With, how was it for you, uh, Q, when it first hit? Like, how did that affect your training? All right, man. So, like Ido said, when we were down at IMG, man, everything was just good. We were just like getting ready for the Olympics. Like, you know, we were just like into it. And then, like, it was like maybe like two days before we came back. Like, it hit us like, you know, like the season might not be the same. So we were just like all like, you know, didn't know like what was going on. So as soon as we got back, man, everything just like like you said just got shut down. And we were just like scrambling, trying to figure out like what to do. Like we knew we wasn't gonna be able to lift no more, so that was like a big part of like our training stuff. Um, 
eventually like the track that we trained at got shut down. So our coach, man, he did a really good job of like finding somewhere for us to train. I could let Vince uh, tell you where we trained at, but we like made that work. And man, like a lot of people like probably wouldn't like do what we did. Like we like found a way to get it done, man. And we, we're here now. So got some good time trials done and yeah. And Vince, where was this infamous place that you guys were training at, bro? It seems pretty brutal. Well, they were right. You know, we were at IMG. They shut down nationals and basketball gets canceled. We get back here, all the toilet tissue gone. Like, it was just not the <laughs> setup for us. Uh, the track gets canceled. And, like, next you know, Coach is up in the morning. He's like, hey, guys, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to put your flats on. You're going to warm up. You're going to run the Dick Sporting Goods. And we running around the parking lot. And so we're out of about hitting repeat thousand, repeat four hundred, eight hundreds. I mean, I'm looking at Ito's story. He on the track having, you know, by himself. <laughs> He's having a glorious time while we over here calves burning on the asphalt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and construction happened outside of Dick Sporting Goods. So then we just had to move to some trail where everybody was biking. So we moving out the way for bikers trying to get mile repeats in. So and then finally the track opened up for us. So it was just a it was a hard time, but we adjusted. That's what Coach Tom really is big on is adjusting and getting through it. Just like Under Armour said, get through this together. We, we really had to get through this together on this one. Yeah, and, and speaking of a um, of adjust of adjusting and getting things together, you guys just recently had a time trial where you guys, you know, kind of. I mean, even before that, you guys had a time trial before that where I saw you guys all running like one forty six as lows, and then you had this big one again. Or Edo, so you hit that that one forty four. How was it like getting together the time trials? Did your coach just immediately like you know adapt and be like, all right, we're still gonna make this season happen? Or was there like a little lull in between? There wasn't necessarily a little lull. It was like so basically the timeline was in May we're gonna train and then we're gonna start doing some time trials in June in hopes of having some races maybe in July or August. And so me and Q. We started off with a 1200 meter time trial and we both ran about 253 and Vince did a 600. Um, and then we did a couple 800s after that. So we did one 800 in like June and then we did a one 800 earlier in July. And then we did our last 800 at the end of July. And so now we're going to be able to go to race officially next, maybe next week. And then I, I really just want to get to this race, bro. Like going down the list with you guys, you guys were the first three finishers, but you guys had a, a group, a really good group. Like we said, best four by eight in the country right now. I would say the world, to be honest. I don't know if no one can hang with y'all at this moment. Ito's come in 144.8. Vincent, second place, 146.2. And then Kwamel was right next to him, 146.4. Like that was a really close finish. But I want to know beforehand, before you guys go through like what was going on during the race, like was there any chirping? Who was in, talking in, like, that? Who was talking the most smack? Who was talking the least <laughs> smack? Like, what was it like before the race? Because I'll I, I be doing it on my team, and I feel like that's good competition when your teammates are able to do that. So how was the mentality going into that race for you guys? Um, So we do all our talking uh, on Thursdays. So that's our sprint day. That's the day, like, we don't really, like, I guess we don't yeah. take that too serious, but we do take it serious. But that's the day we're like, oh, who's the fastest on the team? But, like, on race days, man, we just like we put our headphones on. We just like get really focused. Like our coach got on us for that. He's like, man, maybe y'all should just like on race days, just act like it's Thursday and just get out there and just you know compete. But on race days, we just like you know put the headphones on and just get ready to just handle business, basically. So then, but for you, Vincent, somebody, did somebody it probably was talking trash under the you know under the in their head. So, you know, you never know. <laughs> So for Vincent, did it really feel like a real race to you? I know it was like a time trial, but did it feel like an actual race once like the gun went off or the start or however they started the race for you? Uh, it was kind of weird because I left out the house and coach was like, go back inside because it started raining on us. So we were like, oh, we're not going to run until like five o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And he's yeah. like, you know what? Forget it. Everybody warm up. If it's still raining bad, then we'll wait. But if it's not, we're going to race. So I didn't even know if we were going to race or not. So we're just going into it, just you know, warming up like regular, not knowing if it's going to start pouring down on us or we're going to have to wait to the afternoon. So getting into it, I mean, it felt like a real race after the gun went off. But at first, I mean, we're at, you know, where we practice at. So it, it kind of felt like practice a little bit. And then but when that gun went off, it, you know, tunnel vision from there. Yeah, for sure. And then Ito's going away. I seen the video of you like pulling away that like that last hundred. Just how did the race go for you? Like take us through it a little bit of just getting that PR and everything like that. 
Yeah, um, so gonna go off. We go off, me and Vince, we take off with the rabbit and then he's taking us through. And then I really try to push that third 200 and the rabbit kind of helped me do that. I was really just trying to stay on, stay on pace with the rabbit as much as I could. And then I remember hearing, I think we had an assistant coach named Matt. He was yelling, you know, 117 low. And so I'm like, oh shoot, all right, I can, you know, drop something good. Cause my goal was to break 146 cause I ran 146 at two previous time trials. So I really wanted mm-hmm. to run 145 at least. And then when I heard 117, I'm just like, all right, let me just try to finish. And I hear our coach Tom screaming like, finish, finish, finish. And so I'm like, all right. Just pumping my arms as hard as I could because I knew that I was going to run something really good. And then when I crossed the line and he was like 144, I was like, wait, hold on. Because we have a guy, the head coach of the school we train at, he hosts a lot of track meets. So he had electronic timing on him. He was timing it FAT officially. And so I was waiting on him to hear what he said when he was like 144.8. I was like, oh, snap, I finally did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And congratulations, bro. That's a That's a great time. And I'm sure, I'm sure that means PRs are gonna big PRs are coming too for Vincent and Q. Um, another thing I wanted to to ask both all of you guys too is being you guys are in like basically this distance program, like this black distance program a little bit, um, and with everything that's going on, um, and and just like social issues and community when all that hit on top of like COVID, how was that like being able to like like most of my time running distance, most of my teammates haven't looked like me. Having teammates around you that look like you, just how was going through that all together or going through it still all together? Man, I can start. It's honestly, it's amazing to have teammates that look like you, especially in an event that is kind of split down the middle between different races. It's not like a sprint group where, you know, most people are going to be black or like a super long distance group where, you know, everyone is going to be white. But to have mm-hmm. a bunch of people of color all training together is just a huge blessing, in my opinion. And our social media coordinator, she was like, you know, it's I think it's very important for us to speak out on this issue because most of the team is African-American or of African-American descent. And we I think we all handled it pretty well. We all just try to uplift each other, hold each other accountable and just spread awareness any way we can. I know one thing was growing up in the 800, I remember thinking to myself, like when I ran at different invitationals and different meets, a lot of the kids wouldn't necessarily look like me. And I'm like, wait, am I supposed to be running the 800? Like I'll be like mm-hmm. the only black quarter, like one, one of two black kids in the race, unless I was running in PG County, which was predominantly black. But when I would go to like other invitationals in the DMV area, it will be a lot of white kids running the 800 and up. And so to see people that look like you running a middle distance event that's not quite dominated by all African-Americans is definitely good to have to see when you're training with people like that. Yeah. How was it it for you? uh, It was a big change, like especially just in the world environment, you know, everything. It just felt like things started acting different, especially with COVID already. We just got basically, you know, the first phase and then that happens. So now everybody's looking at you different, seeing if you have a problem and every little thing sets people off. And the social media was really the big one with everybody in their tweets and what they had to say about it. So it was a big impact, but, you know, we really just try to stay mind focused on running in the season and try to blank everything out. because That's what we're here for. You, did you, how, how was it for you too? Your initial thoughts on the protests and everything? Uh, man, it was necessary. I mean, like, man, like, what happened was everybody know, like, it wasn't right, man. Like, so, I mean, and I know everybody's saying, like, you know, like, it, the violence and this and stuff. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it, but, like, it's necessary. Like, I mean, too much is too much. Like, you know, like, what, what else? Like, what else need to happen? Like, people are getting killed, you know, off camera. You know what I'm saying? Like, now nah, this was on camera. Like, it's just, you know, it's enough is enough. That's how, that's how I feel. Yeah. And what's super interesting about your guys' group, you guys are sponsored by Under Armour. You guys got, you know, the best, arguably the best 800 group in the country. And you guys are all predominantly, like, Black. And, like, I feel like in the running community in general, it's ran by older older white white males in the in the media for sure 
So to see that there's actually like this running this running distance group that is predominantly black, I think as you guys continue to grow and get bigger, that's gonna definitely make an impact on the sport. And that's why it's awesome to have you guys. But we wanted to also get into like those early stages for each of you. Could you tell us who was that person that like inspired you or impacted you the most in your life so far? Start off with Edos. Hmm. I guess the people who, so I get inspired by a lot of different people. I guess that number one person, well, people will probably be my parents. You know, they're very hardworking. Um, for those who don't know, my parents are from Nigeria. So they came to this country when they were younger in like their teens and twenties and really just grinded their way to become middle-class and become something in this country. So seeing that they always embodied hard work. And so it was easy for me to emulate hard work and excellence in the classroom and things like that. So I definitely would say my parents inspired me growing up for sure. Uh, for me, it's definitely going to be my mom and my coach from AAU track, Coach Will. Uh, my mom really stayed on me, like Pito said, with grades. She, you know, C's weren't acceptable in the house. If it had to be a B or an A, you know, high GPA, we were trying to get into college. And, you know, she was one of those people that was like, hey, why, if you want to be great, why would you do this? Why would you, why would you eat this? You're trying to be great. You're trying to be successful. And then Coach Will was really the person that motivated me to say, like, you can really run like 150 or you can run this time. You can PR by this much. You can beat that person. Just get closer and closer. And, and he really motivated me at practice and at track meet. So it had to be them for sure. Um, I would say um, I had a lot of like different coaches who like helped me out throughout the, the process or the, um, the journey. Um, it's not a, a lot of times you find like one coach would take you to another coach. But my high school coach actually took me to my aau coach who helped me like pr by like three four seconds and i just like that was that was cool man like one coach wouldn't like take you to another coach and i just i found that like yeah. you know like he really cared about me and i just you know he want to make me this so i would say my coach my high school coach uh, what i find really interesting about like i feel like sports really impacted me and aaron as well as i've been running i've been running track since i was five years old and i started cross country when i was like 12 so like being in sport and stuff like that has really made me the person that I am, plus like God and uh, like my parents as well. But like, I'm just wanna, for like Vincent and Q as well, like how important did you feel like uh, AAU track was for you, like at a young age and like Q when you're in high school, like going through that experience of AAU, cause me and Aaron also did track, but we did USATF. Like how important was going through sport at a young age and stuff like that? to get to where, not just to where you are in sport now today, but just the person that you've become today? Man, so, like, at the beginning, I knew nothing about summer track. Like, I just thought it was, like, high school, summer, you eat, do whatever, party, whatever, and you'd be good, right? So, yeah. like, when I found out about summer track and, man, like, how many people actually did it, it was it was cool, man. Like, the competition was pretty much the same as high school, even better. So, it was just like it was great, man, and I I enjoyed the whole thing, and it it just like it kept you like in shape for the whole, you know. By the time you get, by the time I got to college, I was pretty much good, like running year round. Mm. Well, started you know I did AAU my first year, and I started in seventh grade, and you know I think it's a humbling experience for sure because you know everybody thinks you know it, you're conference champion in your city and you're county champion, but whenever you're national champion you know you go against everybody in the country is definitely a humble experience because you know everybody goes most of the people that's a little bit of talent goes undefeated in you know in their city mm -hmm. or their state and then when we go against yeah. other people you know your country is like it humbles you like whoa wait i thought my i thought my time was fast and they breaking national records in front of your eyes yeah. and leave you like whoa i still got some it's work to do I think it really keeps you motivated and gets you ready for ncaa's when you got to go against the top guys in the country not just you know your team or your conference, you got to go against the whole country with that. It, you're international at that point, too. Yeah, like, that's what I, I was going to mention as well with, like, club club track. You know, you get to experience, like, there's legends when you go to a club track meet. You're like, oh, oh, sure. boy, about to run today. Like, let's all make sure. I remember, I don't know if you guys know, Bryce Love, he played for Stanford football, but he was a 400, a 400 guy. I remember at J.O.C., he was a superstar, man. They're like, yeah, nice Straight out of North Carolina, Bryce Love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2010, yeah. 2010 like, JOs. We got to make sure we catch this. So it's like me growing up seeing that, that was crazy as well. And like for me, 
I mean, in club, our older brother was really good, really good in club. Joshua was a really good club career. I didn't have, like, that much success when I was that young. I started to see more success when I got older into high school. And I wanted to talk to you about that, Edos, because your tweet that went viral, you were, like, listing, you know, you're like, um, your story's not over. What was the exact quote? You want to go Oh, where that? your story starts isn't where it ends. And like, yeah, briefly just describe like your your introduction into track and field since you didn't have like that club, that club or AAU background. Fire yeah, so hearing. I had some cousins who ran track uh, when they were younger, and I didn't grow up running track at all. I actually didn't start track until I was in tenth grade, and track was always something that I wanted to do, but I just never joined a team and did it. I used to play soccer growing up, and I always had a a love for running i just never did it and then it was one time i was in my government class in 10th grade and there was this one girl on a track team she had like her spike bag with her and i was like oh they have track team here and she was like yeah you can still join and then i think that week like the week later or two weeks after that i joined the team and so that's pretty much how i got introduced to track and i've been running ever since yeah that's so that's were you trying to get at that girl or was oh no nah, 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 i wasn't trying to get at her <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. Another maybe thing. some some people join for that reason. Some people join for the socialize socialization. You feel me? That's a good reason to join. Sometimes though, you never know. You could find love. But also, <laughs> also, what I was gonna ask you guys all too, because like most of you guys came, you guys are more a little bit more sprint focused too. Did you ever like imagine yourself being a distance a distance runner? And I feel like sometimes. Like in the in the black community, like sometimes like that stigma is like, oh, you a you a distance runner, you're not fast. But like, did you you know, <laughs> did you guys ever? I'll start off with Q. Did you ever imagine yourself becoming a distance runner? And no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> man, crazy is we were just talking about this yesterday. Like when we did like cross country all four years of college, I did cross country and it was terrible. Like it was not fun. Like it was cool being there, but. It was not fun. Like I remember, I one time I did a one hour run, and it was man, like I, I was I had to stop. Like, but now I can do like hour runs, like it's nothing. Like, man, like it's, yeah, it's, it's a big difference. What about for you, Edos? Because you said you you started off doing soccer. Like, what was the first event that you were trying to do? So when I first joined the team, I had no idea what event I was gonna run. I coached. We had our our first meet. I coached just threw me in a three hundred indoor three hundred meter dash. And I ran it, and I, my mindset was just, all right, just don't get last place. And I think I like fourth or something like that, fourth out of six. And I did another race. I did a 4 by 2 a week later. And then right after the 4 by 2 my coach just said, I have the perfect race for you. And so I'm looking at him like, oh, what's that? And then when he told me the 800, like my, <laughs> my facial expression just completely changed because I knew that meant all right, I'm going to be doing longer workouts, and I'm probably going to start going on some runs and stuff like that. So... When I first initially joined, I never thought I was going to run the 800. <laughs> and then for you, Vincent, did you start running the 8 when you were in AAU in seventh grade, or was it gradual? I was more of a 1,500-meter runner, you know, when I was oh. in, uh, like, seventh grade. I was, I was like, six in the country my first year AAU track, and, like, I got 30th in the 800. I knew the 800 was not for me. I just didn't start off fast enough. And even when I was a kid, you know, we we racing people in the neighborhood, mailbox to mailbox. I thought I was going to be a sprinter. My mom's a short hurdler. My dad was a football player. I'm thinking, you know, I'm fast. And then I get to the grade middle school tryouts, and I get like, I run like 13.6. And them guys out there running 11s, I said, oh, it's time. <laughs> Move it up. <laughs> Move it up to the 800. I was like the fastest guy on the team, like a 240. So I at least I knew I was fast at something. And then, I mean, so moving from the 15, my coach told me if I wanted to be a 1500 meter runner, I had to run a 3000 for like strength work in the 800 for yeah. speed. And I, I wasn't going for that. The next, next meet, I put out like seven seconds in the 800. And then <laughs> that's motivation. That's motivation. No, ain't nobody trying to, ain't nobody trying to do all that. No, no, no offense to my distance runners, but you know, ain't nobody trying to, ain't trying to run like that. But also, we wanted to ask you guys, like, so when, and your guys is all your different journeys, when was that point for you where you were like, yo, like, I, I kind of have a future in this. Like, I could run in college, maybe, maybe afterwards. When did that thought start to form, form in your mind? Let's start off with uh, Vincent. 
uh, well, you know, my mom was big on college straight out of eighth grade. You know, we eighth grade, we were like trying to get the scholarship. So she said, choose a sport. And so I chose track. I had a football and track. I thought I had a better chance of, you know, at running track. So eighth grade is whenever I really focused on trying to get the scholarship. And I want to say maybe my junior year, when I had a good junior year, I ran like 146.3. I thought I could go for, you know, go post-collegiate. So uh, I think that was like my, my marks from there. Thank you. Uh, man, so for me, it was, um, I, I, I was like, since I was like seven years old, like I've been like winning races. So like it was always in my head, like this is what I want to do. So I've been, I, I would say I had like, I have like every record, every club or school record until now, it was pretty much took, from me, but, <laughs> but like, I've just like been winning races since I was young. So it was like, man, this is what I want to do. And I just want to be, you know, on top forever, basically. See, that's crazy because I have a completely different story. So when I first started running track, I had no intentions of running in college because I heard how hard the workouts were. And so I was mm -hmm. like, I ain't trying to run in college. And then it was a time my junior year of high school when I had ran 156. And there was a guy who got a full scholarship to Howard University. And his time was 156 as well. So I'm like, oh, if he got a scholarship, then I can get a scholarship. And so that's really, really motivated me my senior year to get a scholarship and then post-college I just ha had a I knew my way my training was going I knew I was faster than what I was in college and so that's really motivated me to continue the sport after college it's great that to see that you guys have like different stories but you guys all kind of ended up at the same place you guys all ended up at district track club and the DMV like sponsored by Under Armour, just like just for our listeners, can you really just tell us like what is District Track Club? Like what is what is that all about? And like and being sponsored by Under Armour, how is that being for you guys as a professional athlete? Cool. I can go first since I've been on District Track Club the longest. So District Track Club was basically a post college track club that specializes primarily in the eight hundred and fifteen hundred, and we just try to give post collegiate athletes support to have a post-college career but then also we try to build people up as human beings as well you know we want people to be good leaders and good citizens law-abiding citizens of society and um with under armor they came in we've been doing work with them here and there but we officially joined under armor last year in 2019 and okay. they've been a huge blessing to us ever since and we all love their shoes now and their spikes and they're helping us run fast. So they've been very, nothing but supportive. Even during this pandemic, they've been really supporting us by having weekly Zoom calls during that time and just see how everyone is doing and things like that. Who Who is the coach of District Track Club? Uh, it's a man named Tom Brumlick. He is the main head coach of District Track Club. Right, right. And uh, for you two, for Vincent and, and, and Q, um, how did you guys first hear about District Track Club? Like, did you guys even know, like Under Armour's not known as much for their running shoes compared to like football and basketball. So what were your initial thoughts on District Track Club from the beginning? And, and yeah, how did you hear about the team? Uh, I was still in college, you know, and uh, my, my teammate, Charles Jones, he ended up, you know, signing on to District Track Club. And he was like, you know, whenever you're done, I'm gonna put you on, little bro. And I was like, I hear you, and you know, it's happy to, you know, happy to be here because he actually helped me out, to, you know, talk to Tom, when, and you know, now I'm here now. And you know, thanks to Edos and Q for like being, you know, I call them Uncle Q and Cousin Edos because they really took me in his family. And like, you know, I'm coming in as the younger one out of the group. I'm 22, about to turn 23, and you know, really just showing me how to be more mature and growing up. Yes, you know, so I definitely being more successful in life rather than just track and field. So um, I was pretty much still in college and um, it was like my senior year and Tom pretty much reached out to my coach and he was just like, just making an offer like, you know, you should come down here and train with us when you're done. At the time, I didn't know what, was, what I was going to do because I knew I wasn't too fast in college. So it was like, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. But Tom reached out and we talked a little bit, but things didn't work out. So I ended up training in Nashville for uh, a year. But thankfully, like, me and Edo's got to race each other a lot, so I got to see Tom a lot, and we still like stayed connected. And eventually, like things worked out, and now it's, it's about to be two years next month that I'm be here with District Track Club, and it's been great so far, man. I enjoyed it. So, and then Edo, Edo, so you were saying you've been on the District Track Club from the beginning. So you guys, it sounds like you guys originally weren't like fully sponsored 
by Under Armour. What was that process like and what did the team look like when you joined? Man, <clears throat> when I joined the team, people had PRs at 147 and 148. And between 147 and 150, actually. And we didn't have a home track. So we were bouncing around different tracks to use. We didn't have a shoe sponsor. So we had to like fund a lot of stuff through donations and things like that. And yeah, the team dynamic was just so much different back then than it is now. The team is so much better now. We have PRs now ranging from 144 to 147. And so before, when I first joined the team, the fastest person was 147. So you can just see the improvement right mm-hmm. there. And now we have a home track that we constantly are able to go to and have access to. We have a stable weight room. Um, unfortunately, it's closed right now because of COVID and everything like that. But we just have so much more stability now than we did before. Oh, I wanted to bring back to what Edos was talking about earlier, just about how District Track Club, like you guys are there to run fast times, but it's also like to make you a better person. And Vincent said he was like matured a lot since he's been out here. And I want to talk about what you guys been doing, like in the community around like DMV. I seen you guys like you guys do like running clinics and you guys were also like volunteering at like high school track meets. So could you guys just like speak whoever wants to start, like speak on just uh what you guys do in the community around the DMB and like how you guys are involved in that way with District Track Club. Sure, I can start again. Um, so we do a whole bunch of things. So yeah, we work different track meets for the school that we train at. We also do community service with this um, packaging food for the homeless or donating shoes to the needy or just donating stuff in general and then we do host clinics, uh, coaching clinics, athlete clinics. And then we also host uh, the DMV Meet of Champions. Some states do this. Well, I know like New Jersey does it where it's like the mm-hmm. best of the best. And so the DM- we created that in the DMV as well, in the DMV region. And we put that meet on as well. And what else do we do? Um, there's probably a couple other things that we also do, but I just don't quite. For- oh, we do after school programs as well. So we. You know, we help the kids out with fitness activities and running activities and things like that. So there's a lot of volunteer activities that District Track Club does. And also, kind of just going back into the training a little bit, I know we spoke about how most of you guys, you know, you came to the sport, didn't even think you would be distance runners. And you guys come from more of a sprint side. You guys have all pretty pretty nice 400-meter 400, 400 PRs. Um, what is What is, like... How does it feel like to be in this specific training group? How how does the how's the training like different from what you have had before? Because it sounds like you guys have all like put some more strength on uh, still, but you still have like that sprint, that sprint and fast twitch that you guys um, practice and implement a lot as well. You we start with yeah, I would say man, it's 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 so peaceful. Like just like now, just doing like little runs here and there, like it don't have to be, you know, all hard, like we like we're used to, like when we're back in, I mean, for me, like when back in college, like I used to be on the track basically like five days a week, like spikes on, but now, you know, it's like just two days a week. I'm able to like go do my uh, shakeout runs or just recovery runs. And just like, we, we cross train a lot. So those, those days, like, you know, it, it helps out a lot. So like we get to recovery a lot, and just, you know, just focus on running, basically. Oh, and actually, Vincent, I saw, like, for you, so you're saying you started as a 15 and moved to the 8 when you were younger. But at yeah. Tech, I saw you were on the 4x4. Four four, you ran the you ran the 8 there. So what has your progression just, like, with training been like, generally? Yeah, so I moved down. I came from a more of a natural base, just running the 15 with little, and I, and I got this faster running, like, you know, I split 45-5 on the relay, so we, we've we gotten faster, you know, just foot speed-wise. But moving to District Track Club, it definitely humbled me again because I thought doing mile repeats at, at Texas Tech was hard and doing 45-minute runs and 50-minute runs here have been the death of me because it's – the guys could tell you, like, I, I came in here, I wasn't doing the recovery jog or and I wasn't doing the mile repeats all the time and all these long tempo runs. That wasn't what I was doing at Texas Tech or in you know yeah. AAU. I was running repeat 500 in club track. We, yeah. we wouldn't even go over 600 meters. So I've been really just progressing, moving up in distance and getting more base. So it's really changed when I got up here. 
could you expand just on like how important uh moving to doing like tempos and stuff like that has been for your training because i feel like i think i think there is a lot of 800 runners that it's great for them to not run over 600 meters but i feel like there's also like eight eight four guys like in high school that get like stuck into that like not going over 600 meters like how has the strength like been built on you like with this tempo stuff like just for those for those high school kids out there that are trying to like run the eight and like thinking about considering longer running longer or anything like that uh i definitely it's, it's definitely beneficial because i mean any when you're doing nothing over a six you're really just going out fast and try to hold on for dear life like my yeah. SPR in high school was 150, but I went out in 50 and I finished in a minute. You know, that's not that's not really how you want to do it. I was I was I was dead. I was I was throwing up everywhere. But now you know, you're more strength based, so you got to finish. You really got to focus on your third 200. That's really the biggest part of the 800. Now is that third 200, and you need a lot of strength for that. So that's definitely the most important part of the race. And I think that's what I would take over from workouts to put in the race would be the third 200. Anybody can finish. A lot of people go out fast, but that third 200 is the key part of the 800, in my opinion. Hey, and, uh, you know, I was actually looking at, at your profile at Hampton and it was showing, saying your weight, like for each year. And I saw like your first year coming in, you were like, you were like, <laughs> you were like, diving deep. Hey, I ain't trying to get on his head. I'm just saying, his first year coming in, you were like 170. And then you got all the way down to like, by your junior year, you were like 150. So like, what what has been like that transition like for you too? Oh, that's a typo. I was never 170. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, like, dude, like, what? That's funny. But still though, what is that? what has that transition been like uh, coming into this group? doing more doing more tempo stuff and longer things yeah for sure so at hampton i definitely had more of a speed background like vince i ran a four by four a lot in college made ncaa's in that um when i came when i joined district initially we definitely did more mileage but the way tom did it, he made it a smoother transition for me and so for example i used to do maybe like 30 miles a week in college but at district i would do 40 to 50 but I would do a longer warm up or have a longer cool down. And then I would do like some strength work here and there and some tempo runs. And my first year, it was a struggle. I used to train with some longer distance guys my first year. And I remember us doing a tempo run. I had five miles and they had like eight and they beat me to the five mile mark before I finished my five miles. So it was definitely a big struggle in that regard. And it's funny because my PR in the 400 was 48 when I joined district track club and I obviously run 46 now. So strength work is very important, even for those 400, 800 runners, because your 400 can potentially get faster as well. And I wanted to ask, ask a, one last question on that subject. I wanted to ask you, like, how do you, how do you think – we just had – me and Joshua just did an interview It's gonna with someone, and they were asking us how – she was in she, – her husband is a coach. He's, he's a white coach, and he's like, how do I get more black people to, to run – to run distance how do i get people to move to move up um do you guys want to speak on that or attack that i feel like that's hard man it's it's, it's so tough now man everybody want to be usain bolt or christian coleman like you know nobody wants to you know put in that work nobody wants to hurt i mean the 800 hurts 815 it hurts like nobody wants that pain man you gotta be you gotta be different to do it man you know i don't know <laughs> it's tough I don't know. But yeah, I definitely feel like you guys are, like you just said, everyone wants to be Christian Coleman or Usain Bolt. But, no lies, you know, man. everybody want to be Q. Everybody want to be Q. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think another thing too is just letting 800 meter runners know that they're still fast. Because every time we tell people that you run track, like, oh, what event do you do? And you tell them the 800, like, oh, you're, that's a long distance runner. Yeah. 800 yeah. is a sprint still. If you're an 800 meter runner, you're still a sprinter at the end of the day. And you have to let these kids know, like, hey, you can run an 800 and still be fast. You're still a fast runner, regardless mm -hmm. of whether you run an 800, the 400, or the 200. You're still a fast runner if you can run a good 800. Every 800-meter runner has some type of speed in their system. Yeah. And then one thing that I really wanted to touch on in this podcast, what's really unique about uh, U3 is that two of you guys from, like, right, you guys went to HBCUs. So, uh, you know, so you went to Hampton, then... Uh, Q, you went to Tennessee State, and I was just wondering, all of you guys can answer this too, like, what was, like, your guys' initial 
uh, just perspective and perception of HBCUs before you got there than afterwards. Because as us, like us being from all the way on SoCal, we don't have any HBCUs over here. The closest HBCU is like, well, any sort of thing is like CSUN, but it's like mostly, it's just mostly diverse and mostly Mexican. But most high school, but most colleges you go to, it's it's all white, like pretty much. It's a culture shock here in Southern California. So like going to an HBCU on the other side of the country, it just seems like, it, seem, it seems dope. Like for me, I'm just saying for me, like the perception, it seems dope, but it's like, it seems like it would be such a big culture shift and culture shock. Like how was that for you guys, like your perception of HBCUs before high school and now? Sure, I can go. Um, so I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland. And for those who don't know, PG County is a predominantly black county. And so mm-hmm. I'm, the high school I went to had mostly black people. And my initial thought of an HBCU was it's probably ratchet and ghetto and I wanted nothing to do with it. And yeah. when I, yeah, this is crazy. I did not want to go to HBCU at all. Yeah, and so right, Hampton, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> Hampton, when Hampton initially offered me, I was like, dang, it will be an HBCU that offers me a scholarship. But then when I yeah. went there, I just saw so much black excellence and saw black people who wanted to do well with themselves and do something with their life. And just to see black people doing so well all in one area, it was just amazing. And I'm so grateful for my experience just because you ne- at ABC, you'll never, more than likely, you won't experience any type of racism just because everybody there looks like you. And you know, meeting different people and just seeing their reasoning for going to an HBCU was because that they wanted to go somewhere where everyone looked like them. And I was obviously sheltered growing up because I didn't, I grew up around a lot of people who looked like me ever since middle, elementary, middle school. So yeah, my initial, when I first, when I left the HBCU, then I, my view of it changed for sure. And just now I look at it as black excellence and black people want to do better themselves and do well in society. Yeah, pretty similar to like what Ido say. But before I went to Tennessee State, um, I knew about the history, like uh, Wilma Rudolph and my coach, uh, Chandra Cheesebro. So I knew the history of like Tennessee State. So I knew like track was like a really big, you know, part of the school. So I really like looked into that. And my sister went there too. So she like basically recruited me to go to Tennessee State. So when I got there, man, it was it was beautiful. Honestly, it was beautiful. Like. You would be there, you would you would just like people would just tell you about the violence and stuff, but I really didn't see much violence. Like if you go looking for violence, you'll find it. I pretty much like just stayed focused, stayed running track, go to class, do what I had to do. But HBCU is it's it's beautiful, man, honestly. Why and why do you guys um like Edos, you know, so why do you think that HBCU sometimes have that perception of like, you know, it's gonna be like run down, like ratchet you know what i'm saying why do you think that perception is on hbcus i think that perception is on hbcus because that's the perception on black people as a whole and so mm-hmm. people think that when things are run by black people that is going to be ratchet and ghetto because that's why black people are portrayed in the media and so i think that's why people thought and even myself included thought hbcus would be like that but i was completely wrong and it's crazy, like as a as a black person, how something like that, you know, that it just sneaks into our, it gets programmed and sneaked into our mind without us even knowing it. And we look back in hindsight and being like, "Whoa, that was black excellence that I was a part of." Like, I was gonna, that's crazy. I was gonna say, man, we have like Vanderbilt University is maybe like ten miles away from Tennessee State, and you would have crime stuff going on there. You wouldn't hear about it much on the news, but something happened at my school. It would like be like the biggest story. Like it just used to be just such a big double standard. It was it was awful. And can you guys too, um, Edos and Q? Can you guys briefly describe? I mean, talk about like how it is being able to run for your your country for Ni- Nigeria. And then um, is it how do you pronounce it? Is it Gu- Guya? Guyana. Guyana. How yeah? Can you speak on running for your country and representing? you know where your where your parents you know came came from yeah um i love running for nigeria it's i feel because i'm not the type of person who reps my culture heavy and so to be able to do it through track and to through my craft is something that I, i'll cherish forever 
And then also a lot of my friends growing up and a lot of my close friends now are of the Nigerian descent as well. And so I feel like I'm oftentimes representing a part of them as well, as well as my family. So I really take pride in representing Nigeria and I feel like I'm representing my whole tribe and my whole family and just all everyone who's rooting for me that's Nigerian back home and abroad. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know, but I, I was actually born in Guyana. Like they just think like I'm just a U.S. based athlete that's running for a country, but I was actually born there. So like just to represent the country you were born there is like just cool. Like I made it to Worlds. It was a great experience. I enjoyed being there. Had my country on my back basically, and just it was just cool, man. I enjoyed it. Can you describe for the viewers too? I thought this wasn't. I thought this was in Africa until I looked it up. Can you describe to them where the where the country is? You know, we're not good at geography in the U.S. Yeah. So Guyana is pretty much in uh, South America. So if you know where Brazil is, it's just pretty much north of Brazil, right next to Venezuela and Suriname. Going back real quick, of you guys went to both HBCUs. Like, do you feel like there could be possibly like more people interested into HBCUs, seeing the success of like North Carolina AT and T? like previously at the NCAAs. And now like we, we know definitely in the black community, we all like pay attention to basketball somewhat and seeing like five-star recruits like McTure, McTure what's, his, what's his man's name? McTure Maker going to Howard and then Mikey Williams possibly thinking of going to HBCU as well. But like, can you see in the future uh, more track and black track and field athletes or just track and field athletes in general going to HBCUs and should they be encouraged to go there if you guys want to take that question on? I think they should. And I think there is going to be a shift, not only in track. I think there already is a shift happening in track and field, but I think there's going to be an even bigger shift happening across all sports in the NCAA. And mm -hmm. seeing that that five-star recruit signed to Howard is going to create a domino effect. And especially with everything going on now in today's climate, it's definitely going to be encouraged that black people do attend HBCUs. And what that's going to do is it's going to create more funding because people are going to want to come and watch them play basketball. And the other thing is like just not having to experience racism at your school is going to be a huge thing. And you're not going to be looked at as just an athlete like you are at some of the other bigger power five schools sometimes. So I do think there's definitely going to be a shift and, I, I'm here for it. I hope there is. I really am. Mm. Man, what about I mean, you? I didn't go to HBCU, but I did, you know, I were, uh, was recruited by Norfolk State University. I took an official visit out there. So I know the difference between a Norfolk State visit and a LSU Miami visit. And Norf Norfolk State definitely had more culture out there. I, I came during their homecoming. So, you know, I seen the bands, they were marching, they were going yeah. crazy. I mean, they weren't as funded as other teams, but you could definitely see the culture out there. And yeah, even if they're not as funded, you see North Carolina AT going just as fast as any other one school out there. So they definitely coming up in the world and ready to run fast and hopefully get better funded for their you know programs. No ball for UQ. Yeah, man. I, like Ido said, Ido's pretty much like knocked it like right out, man. Like they definitely should give it a shot, man. And you know everything should be fine. I wanted to ask this earlier. Because when you guys are all describing how you got into it, got into like track and field, like you guys are all different, but like kind of similar in a way. And like me and Joshua just come like a track and field family. So like for me growing up, like like growing up, like Vincent, like when I was running, like my dad, my mom was like, yo, you're doing this to like, you got to get that scholarly so you could go to school. But also in the same same vein, like Q, it was like, this is what I this is what I do. Like, and this is how this is like what I wanna do forever, because it's that love. But can you guys also just uh touch on like the importance of going going to school coming from like um a black family and getting that scholarship getting that scholarship to go to school and to, to graduate and getting that education. Oh, yeah, it's very important. So, like I said, I have Nigerian parents. And for those who don't know, Nigerians are very, very big on education. And it's not even a if you're going to college, it's a where you're going to college. And my parents originally didn't really think that you can get scholarships through athletics. And so when I was able to get one, it kind of opened their eyes a little bit. And 
it showed that, hey, it's possible to get athletics or school paid for through sports. But I was going to go to school regardless just because that's how I grew up. And that's the mentality that was instilled in me at a younger age because college is the way out and you know, education is key and education is very important. Like he says, you know, it's, it's college is key. And my mama said, use the competitiveness, using track in the in the classroom. So I was that guy, like asking everybody, what you get on your test? What you get on your test? I wanted to be hired. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, I left I left uh, high school with a three point nine GPA. I I was just trying to be the best at whatever I was doing. So uh, even if it's SAT, ACT, I'm asking everybody what they got because I just want to be better than everybody. You know, I want, I'm a competitor. That's 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 what I really love. So I used that in the classroom to get into the college I got in. Yeah, so for me, uh, like one of the one of the downfalls of me like taking track so serious, like in high school, I just like focused on track so much, so hard uh, that I didn't take school too serious. But eventually, when I got into college, my coach was able to preach to me like, "You're a student athlete, student first. So like that, like stuck in my head, like you know, I gotta take care of my business. I don't take care of my business. Like when you when you're 30 years old, you won't be running fast anymore. You gotta you know use that education to to, to get a good job and like to you know better yourself in life. So. College taught me like to, you know, be a better student first than an athlete. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It seems like definitely, you know, education is super important to just continue moving in life. But all the lessons you guys learned from running track and field and going through those trials and tribulations. One more thing also I really want to talk about, especially for you guys running 800 and being black, I feel like there's a I know you guys, uh, Edos and Q, you don't run for the U.S., but just in general, I feel like there's a real big shift of just more black people over time moving up higher and higher in distances. Because you go back, Johnny Gray, and before Johnny Gray in the 80s, there wasn't really a lot of black people running the 800. He Once he went out there and he was setting that with 140, 142, like that, we start to see more and more black people. Now we got like Dwayne Solomon, can't forget KD and then Dovin Brazier is now leading the charge and with you three as well moving up more and more in the ranks and the Kenyans but like do you how does it feel like running in an era that's like heavily African-American in like 800 meter dash especially at the 800 meter level especially like even your teammate Jasmine Frey as well like how is it running the era like that as a professional um I love it um, I think, especially well, growing up, I used to look at like the best black 800 meter runners and mm -hmm. seeing that the former American record holder was black gave me confidence like, hey, all right, this event is for me. You know, seeing guys like Johnny Gray, Mark Everett, Earl Jones, John Marshall, those all five black male all running 143 or faster. Let me know that I am in the right event and that it, this event is there's room for African-Americans in this event and I'm not an outlier or anything like that. And so seeing those guys run well in the 800 and then seeing even more black people pave the way in the 800 now, like Donovan Brazier, is definitely and even us, you know, yeah. is definitely a good thing to see. And it's definitely um, hopefully it encourages some other kids as well, other black kids as well to run the 800 and know that. I can still be fast, be black, and run the 800. Yeah, just to continue on that, man, if you're a kid and you're trying 100, you're trying 100, it's not working, maybe you should try the 800. You already have a little bit of speed, man. Just put in the work. I mean, a lot of people hate training for the 800. Just put in the work, give it a shot. Might not work at first, but look at Edos, man. He's a great story to tell, man. Like, over time, things good things could happen. So, I mean, the 800 is it's not a fun event for most people, but, you know, like, for, for young black for young black guys, man, it's you could be pretty good at 800. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't you know at this point the 800 isn't a skin tone anymore. It's about who is more mentally strong. Like who can endure the pain, do it once, and then keep doing it. Like you got to go through that pain once, but the real ones can go through the pain again. So it's definitely about for, it's for the mentally strong. That's really like, who can do it once, twice, three times, and do it for ten years plus. So that's definitely what I, I see for the kids. And do you guys ever uh, see that there can be just like a shift of just more black people running the 1500? Or do you guys, or just more direct, do y'all see yourself in the future moving up running the 1500? Because 800 is low key a young man's game. I'm just, I'm just wondering. I want to throw the question out there. Uh, I personally don't see myself like primarily moving up to the 15 fully. 
I can see my, I see myself running a fast fifteen hundred, but I don't see myself making the fifteen hundred my main event. I think with guys like Donovan, who's able to run a sub four minute mile, there's not really that many black people who can run a sub four minute mile, and so yeah. seeing Donovan do it is like it hope it could probably definitely cause a shift to see okay there might be some other black kids who can run a sub four minute mile as well, and then guys like Justin Knight and Kimoy Campbell who are black and they run longer distances, you know, seeing them. You know, they're usually the only black person in their event. And, you know, I'm always rooting for them and I always want to see them do well. And so I definitely think there can be a shift slowly but surely, you know, in a couple of years down the road, then we can have some elite black 1500 and above runners for sure. But to be honest, yeah, for me, 1500 is done. <laughs> I'm done. <with> <laughs> I, I saw it six years with the 15. We are cool. We are distance friends now. I told you, Coach said I got to run that 3000 for distance work. That means it's no more 15 for me. <laughs> yeah, just based on what Vince said, like people just don't want to train for the 15, especially a young black man would not want to train for the 15. The 800 is already hard. You tell me I have to train for 15, I have to put on 10 more miles a week. Like, yeah, they wouldn't. I don't think the, the training would be fun for them. Well, not me, at least. It's tough. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see down the line. You never know. They might, y- y'all might switch your mind up. So, when y'all like, okay. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> said, no, I'm moving to the fourth. I'm moving to the 15. Hey, just get like 170 mile week under your belt, bro. You'll be a new man. You feel me? New mm. man. Hello? <laughs> yeah. 75. Week. <laughs> hey, but me and Joshua really, really were saying though, with with y'all. I mean, we don't have the whole team on here, but y'all are definitely like maybe the 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 best four way in the country. So, what do y'all think about that? Like, let's put together, let's get Pete, let's get BTC, let's get Pete Julian's group. I mean, New York, New Jersey is right up the street from y'all. And, and let's, let's throw out a four by. Let's get a four by eight going. Do y'all think? Are y'all the best? Are y'all the best? What y'all think? We actually did one last year. We did one against uh, Atlanta Track Club, Boston Athletic Association, and New Jersey, New York, and we won. We ran seven ten. Oh shoot! But to be the best, okay. you have to be the best. So I, 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 we do need to race like Brooks or somebody like that. So I agree. If they want to the smoke, they can get it. <laughs> Hey, y'all heard it here. Give me the smoke. If y'all want the smoke, y'all can come get it. Y'all heard it on the running report on two black runners. <laughs> yes, sir. Put me out the hole, coach. I'm ready for the smoke. Whoever wanted it. Bang, bang. stick in his hand, he's different. Oh, man. He do Donovan Brazier. We win the whole thing. Definitely right now with all these, like, different time trials, um, and races going on, I feel like it's a time in track and field where a lot of people are experimenting, and I think it will heavily affect affects like track and field entertainment going forward in the future. I'm hoping to see more like dual and like tri meet style meets, just you know, for fun. Because I always just think too, like like I know as runners, you know, we have schedules like we're trying to peak for and everything, but. Uh, runners are also, you know, you guys are professional racers, and like you know, like, like Vincent said, like if they want the smoke, they could come get it whenever. Like this is what y'all paid, y'all paid to do, y'all pros. So I would love to see like that, something like that in the future. But I think are we are we down to the closeout, Joshua? Yeah, basically, we just about to the closeout question. Like just first off, just like. We, we kind of just want to learn a little bit more about you. Just what kind of music are you guys really listening to right now? And what is, like, your favorite, like, pump-up song before a race? But, like, just first, like, what type of music do you guys usually listen to? I go. I listen to general hip-hop, R&B. I actually really enjoy EDM. A lot of people don't know that. Um, that's one of the music genres that I secretly love listening to. Um, I usually don't listen to that before the, a race, but I love that. My favorite rapper is this guy named Aha Gazelle. He's pretty underground. He has like 60,000 followers on Instagram. Um, my favorite pump-up song is one of his songs called Yippee. I listen to that almost every time before I run. Aha uh, Gazelle. I'm going to have to look that up. 
Y'all, y'all know I'm from Charlotte, so it's the baby all day. <laughs> uh, I, I listen to a lot of uh, hype up songs. Uh, my favorite song right now is uh, actually Tory Lane's uh, "Broken a Minute," and I just, you know, I was just I listened to that before the race. I'm like, I gotta get this money, gotta get this money, cause I ain't been broken a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure all the YSL, Gunner, your little baby, Young Thug, uh, favorite rapper. Big Sean, so I'm gonna go Big Sean for the race. I do it, yeah, for the race, right? Then one more, like, uh, what, what are we, what should we be watching right now? What have you guys been been watching during quarantine? Anything like that? What's been, or have you guys been reading a lot of books? Like, what have you been doing the past time a lot in quarantine? Yeah, I've been watching some shows here and there, reading some books. Uh, I've been catch, I caught up on a lot of an- different animes. Um, Demon Slayer, if y'all haven't watched that. Fire. Uh, My Hero Academia, if you haven't watched that. Fire, uh, One Punch Man, Mob Psycho. I caught up on all those shows. And books. I've definitely been reading a lot of sports psychology books. Um, Champion's Mind by Dr. Jim Affermile is a good one. And The Champion's Comeback by the same author is also a good one as well. Big, you know, I'm a really big competitor, so I'm on that 2K. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm a person. I'm really competitive. I just try to, you know, beat everybody, whatever I can, no matter I message games or whatever. But I'm mostly on 2K. You can add me on PSN, 800 meter hertz. <laughs> oh, he want the smoke. Hey, he want the smoke. <laughs> what team are you using though? What team are you using? I play. I play my player. That's really I'm a okay. I'm a league now. So moving up in the world, I'm trying to be a legend. All right, so I've been on Netflix and uh, I just started playing a video game for like the first time for like a, a long amount of time. So I'm on that Madden right now, just playing against computer. I don't have the online yet, so I'm just like you know getting into video game, just making time fly by a little bit. He playing computer because he oh, sucks, man. Here you go. Oh, <laughs> he got the sliders. If y'all know some good movies on Netflix, though, just send them to me, man. Wait, are you at least playing on all Madden though? Are you playing on all Madden? That's the question. So I played, I played and beat every team. I played and beat every team. I got That was like that was my competition right there. Just beat every team. Then uh, we also want to know like who should we have next on the podcast, bro? Who do we need to get on here and interview? Man, get get my boy Alex, man, Alex. Yeah, I think Alex would be good. Yeah, man, Alex would be good. Alex, what's you got to get John on here. You heard him upstairs. <laughs> he is hilarious. John would be a good one, too. Tom, our coach, our head coach on here, that would be great, too. Mm. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't know. We don't know too much about, about the coaching district track club either, though. That actually would be interesting. Yeah. Also, we wanted to ask you guys, um, each of you, what mark do you want to leave on the sport? That's a good question. I I, I want to be a, I want to be remembered. That's the, like fifty years, hundred years down the road. I want to remember. Like, do you remember Vince and Crisp? That's that's really what it is. No matter if it's my PR or how I raced or which race it was, I really just want to be remembered. Like how we talking about Johnny Gray and all them is like I want to go back to be like they remember me like him. Basically, I was one of the top guys. I ran fast and I was one of the smart runners in the in the USA and around the world. Yeah, I, I know what I want to remember right now. Um, I want to be remembered by, or the mark I want to leave is just showing that you don't necessarily have to run fast young to be fast when you get older. And just, I really want to leave a mark by showing people that it's all about the process and not necessarily the end result. Um, just because you run fast at 19 or you don't run fast at 19 doesn't mean that you can't run fast when you're 25 or 26. And you can still, you know, have your best races ahead of you when you get older. So that's something I really want to leave a mark on. It's just showing people that they don't have to give up so easily and don't give up. Yeah, so I'm going to go to the opposite. I was going to say, uh, like like I said earlier, like every, you know, club or team I've been on, like I just, like I had the fastest time. Like I've been the best. I just want to know, like when he was here, he did his thing. Like he took care of business and he just he did what he had to do. So that's what I want to remember. Um, I see a bright future for you guys all we're gonna put together me and joshua about to put together this race but um <laughs> joshua, you got by eight. <laughs> joshua. hey just i just want to really appreciate everybody uh that you guys came on this podcast bro i really like feel like we really were able to come on here and like preach black excellence but not just preach 
like black excellence, but just be able to like to kick it and like the the show the progression of the eight hundred and like like we say running report for the culture and by the culture. And I hope that people are listening at home we're able to find a new track club that you can root for find some new people next year when you're watching the tokyo 21 olympics 2021 olympics you can see Edos running for nigeria and root for him you can see q running for guyana and rooting for him and then hey vincent chris you can see him running for usa and rooting for him i think this, they got a really bright future and it's it's an honor to have you guys on the podcast and i can't wait to see what you guys have to gonna do bro it's gonna be exciting it's gonna really be exciting can't wait man appreciate it appreciate you having us on and, and with that bro see you guys next tuesday on the two black runners bro aaron you got anything left or are you good i just want to say as always man this was a great one our first multi-person interview um and if you listen this far into the podcast you really are a true homie and we really do appreciate y'all keep tuning in every tuesday we got guests lined up i'm super excited there's big things coming our way but district track club thank you guys again for just coming on and and kicking it with us and i'll see y'all next week on two black tuesday hey let's get it